Hello and welcome to another episode of Roots and Resilience, a leadership podcast by DBNC where we have conversations about leadership. We hope that these conversations build insightful and engaging perspectives as we journey in our lives. My name is Christian Fox and today I am pleased to welcome Sam Effa. Sam is a Canadian Sprint Champion. He has represented Canada at three World Championships, three World University Games, two Commonwealth Games, and is a two-time Canadian Champion in the 100 meter. He has been named the fastest man in Canadian university history and the fastest man in Alberta history. Yes, he is a native Albertan. Leading up to the 2015 Pan Am Games in Toronto, Sam discovered that he had two broken hips. Believing that his sprinting days were over, Sam underwent surgery and months of grueling physical therapy, slowly building confidence and a hunger to return to competition. You may recognize Sam from his experience on The Amazing Race Canada, placing second with his teammate. He was also chef de mission leading Canada into the Commonwealth Games last summer in Brigham, UK. Combining his love of sports with marketing and innovation, Sam recently moved into a full-time manager position on the brand marketing team, where he'll help find and fund Canada's future Olympians via RBC Training Ground and support RBC's broader sports marketing initiatives, including each Olympic Games campaign. Please welcome Sam Effa. Sam, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing on this Thursday afternoon? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready for the weekend. But uh, yeah, doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well. I feel the same way. It's Thursday, ready for the weekend. But uh, today's been good. But I'm very excited about our conversation. So I'm sure people want to hear about your track and field experience. And one of the things I'm always curious about is how people start. Was it something that you were always destined to do to be a sprinter? That's a good question. And uh, the answer is no. You know, I, I always had kind of like speed. I always knew that I would like do something in sport, but just in terms of like the the background of my family that I come from. So I had I have uh, three older brothers and a younger sister. So with just like the nature of, of just having so many kids in the house, I never really had an opportunity to do, you know, organized sports. Luckily, like, you know, growing up in Calgary, we did have, uh, you know, school sports, after school kind of sports stuff. So you know, it took me, I think it was like high school was the first time I really got into like track and field. And really it was just like a sports day. And even then you had practices, but I never went. I just, I would go to the sports day. So then I got like a day off school and, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but like they sold like candy and like donuts. So it makes no sense. But that was like my incentive. So I was like, (laughs) I wasn't in sport. But I was, uh, I guess, motivated by, like, candy and donuts, like, you know, just, like, a classic, like, kid who, I guess, ran on sugar highs. So, anyway, went to these, uh, whatever, sports days after school, and eventually, you know, it got to a point where I, I realized I was fast. I would be racing guys uh, who had played soccer their whole life, that you know, new track and field. Here I was with, like, the baggiest of baggy, like, Jordan shorts from my older brother. He was, like you know, significantly older. So I would sprint in these things or like parachute pants. Um, so to be winning races and, you know, eating a donut and having parachute pants, I, I was like, okay, like I knew there was something there. So it really started there. And then kind of when I eventually got into university, I, I decided to take it to the next level. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how it got started. I played a little bit of football, but I was too small and I didn't want to get hit. Um, so track and field made sense. Oh, that, that's very cool. I seem to remember, I'm thinking back, I'm not athletic, 
But I do remember liking track and field for that reason of, hey, there's some freezies, you get a day off. But it's really cool that you were able to take that, but then actually turn it into something. Like that, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, it was that or just getting into junk food and probably gaining some weight. So I'm glad I took the, the, that, that route. Right, exactly. So you had tremendous success in university and global stage. You even raced the fastest man ever, Usain Bolt, which is, that's amazing to me. Then you moved to Toronto to take advantage of the amazing training facilities um, created for the 2015 Pan Am Games in the city. And you learned that you had some pretty significant injuries. What was that like when you when you found that out? Uh, um, it was it was definitely like it was a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, when I was like when I was in my prime, and I say in my prime because now retired, um, I was like I was that guy. I, I had won uh, national championships um, twice in a row in Canada. So to win nationals in the hundred meters, you name the fastest man in Canada. So to have you know, that title is, is cool, you know, you get the, I had the Nike contract, like people wanting to like sponsor me. And I kind of, I'll be honest, I felt like the man. I was like, cool, I'm this kid from Calgary uh, <laughs> who never really did sports. And here, all of a sudden, here I was always on the podium. So it was great. So like, to, to your question, you know, what was it like moving to Toronto and kind of getting injured? Um, it was tough. You know, at the time, luckily, you know, as I moved, I had just finished university. So like, it, it wasn't that when I got injured, I had nothing going for me. Um, but I kind of had this backdrop where I said, okay, if I can't sprint, what do I do? And luckily I had that in my back pocket, not all athletes do. But I remember just thinking to myself, like, who am I? You know, I had a, a moment where I really did question my identity and don't get me wrong. It sucked to be, it did suck to be injured. But I think the bigger picture was like, you know, do I define myself on how fast I run, you know, in a straight line in 100 meters under 10 seconds, or are there more things to me? So anyway, the injury that I had uh, specifically is it's called a labral tear. So it, it's basically like the little like I don't I don't know the exact term, so don't quote me here, but like the little okay. cartilage, <laughs> exactly in your hips, um, and essentially it hurts to like it's it's torn and it hurts to sit, stand, cough. And, and you can imagine as a, as a sprinter, you need your hips uh, to, to do anything, but to, to, hurt, to, it hurt to sit, stand, cough, everything. And I had this in both of my hips. So essentially, here I was in Toronto, I freshly moved, got this MRI. The doctor was like, look, you know, this is not a sob story. Like, it's not that you're not going to be able to walk again, but you're going to have to get surgery and you're going to have to to slowly try to make a comeback, it's not looking good. So anyway, it was it was a terrifying time because I, I moved there by myself, by myself, and this all happened within the span of like a month. So imagine being like in a new city, you know, four hours flight away from home, and uh, not really knowing who you are as a person, and like you know, as a young person, you're transitioning uh, into like just like a new city. You just you just you're finding yourself, and yeah, I just kind of did the best I could with with the situation at hand, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. So how, how did you manage the day-to-day of, again, you're in a new city, four hours from home. How did you cope with that? <laughs> I mean, initially, it wasn't, like, too, too bad. So I ended up moving uh, to Toronto. I was, like, living with two uh, athletes as well, so two two girls. Um, Kim Hyacinth, she's, like, a, an Olympic sprinter, too, 200-meter sprinter. Jenna Martin, she's a 400-meter sprinter. So in the beginning, it was, like, cool and, like, 
living with two girls, high performance. Like we're always like focusing on our nutrition and you know meeting people. Like for us out west, Toronto was like the big city. So I was like, cool, you know, enjoying. Even though I did get surgery and I would most of the time be crutching around, but when it really hit me was uh, they would go on these training camps and, and sometimes these training camps were like three, four weeks long in St. Kitts and Mead, this like beautiful, beautiful place I've ever been. And uh, I remember just being in Toronto in the dead of winter, you know, and, and not knowing anybody. And that was tough. I watch a lot of daytime TV. I would, you know, self-help help books became my best friend. But it got to a point where, again, I had to have this kind of like, I don't know, Rocky Balboa type mindset. I'm like, I'm going to make a comeback. I'm going to do this. But it really took, it was really internal. Like I had to believe that I could do it. And, I would be lying if I told you from the get-go I, I did think I was going to do it, but it was, it was, it was a journey. It was a journey to save these man. Wow, I mean that that's amazing that you were able to to deal with that because, you know, you hear stories like that, but you really can't understand how someone's feeling until you've lived that. When you're, you know, you're in the, again, you're in this new place, and then the thing that you've been focusing on for so long, you think you might not be able to do it again. Uh, that that's got to be incredibly tough. But what was that drive like when you did decide to make a comeback? And you're like, all right, it's 2020. I'm going to give it one last push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, you know, I, I often put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and, and especially, like, when you're an older athlete, going into 2020, I was like, I don't know, 31, 32. And when you haven't made it, but you've made every other national team, like I mentioned, you know, I, I've been – at the World Championship, Commonwealth Games, qualified for Pan Ams. Like, I literally did every, did everything. So to know that the one thing I haven't done was, like, kind of, like, due to injury or or just, like, random circumstances, like my, my broken hips, it was a lot of pressure. And I just, I owned it. But at the same time, it was, like, kind of terrifying, too, because it's, like, you know, when you're younger and you don't make a team or you don't, like, you know, perform to the best that you can, you're always like, oh, well, I got time. This was the, the last kind of last kind of straw for me, so it was it was definitely tough. Um, and then on top of it, you know, going into 2020, you know, we as we all know, pandemic hit. So it was like not only am I going to have to rise above and and, and pull out a, an amazing performance because it's super competitive in the 100 meters, but it was like I got to do this in a pandemic, and I don't know if I'll have access to facilities. So these like there was so many different pieces to this equation that were that were really scary and and to be honest like I had invested like 12 years of my life leading up to this one moment so you can imagine it was it was very tough but I just again all I focused on was you probably heard this a ton control what you can control like the the, <laughs> the cliche of the pandemic but really I I truly maximized like every moment whether it was nutrition whether it was mental training whether it was like you know just making sure I made the best with all of my time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you talk about nutrition and I actually watched your, your Ted talk and I just talking about the nutrition and the working out. How did you, how do you manage that all the time? Because that's one of the most difficult things is like, you can work out. Sure. But the nutrition part, it's like, Oh, that's a whole other beast. Yeah. No, you know, when, when you look at it like on the surface and, and maybe if it's like if you're an individual that's not like heavily into like focusing on the nutrition and maybe you're not wanting to watch every single thing that you eat, I can see how that can be daunting and it can be exhausting. But I know for me, it was like 
I would just frame things in a different way. So I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily look at it as like, okay, you know, I'm trying to get fitter. I'd be like, how can I recover and be the best that I can be each and every day? If I don't, you know, hit my protein intake, I remember it was like 23.5 grams of protein per meal, whatever it was. I'm like, if I don't hit that, like I, in my head, I'd be like, I am losing an opportunity to get better. So I would just kind of frame it in like, how can I be the best person that I can be? How can I recover to be the best person that I can be? And that in its own would, believe it or not, just like motivate me. I, could, I wouldn't be motivated in any other way unless it was like framed in a way that was like going to better my performance. So that's what I would do anytime I would cook a meal, anytime that I was thinking about. Because I got a crazy sweet tooth, as you know, got into the sport eating donuts. So <laughs> it was like I had to kind of reframe stuff. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that idea that every time you you make a mistake, it's like, okay, that was an opportunity I could have used to improve myself. I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it for sure. So one of the things I really want to talk to you about is 2019, you were in the Amazing Race. Yeah. What what was that like being in the Amazing Race? And also it's a reality show. What is I just want to know, what is that whole experience like? Yeah, that was that was wild. And I think <laughs> being an athlete, it gave me a false sense of uh, false sense of confidence for sure. I had, I had watched earlier seasons, like when I say earlier, like when the show first came out, like the American version, in like two thousand and one. I was like, whatever, ten years old, whatever I was. Um, but I all I thought to myself is like, okay, I'm gonna go onto this this show. I am going to like absolutely crush it. Hopefully, there's a race or something where I could just, like, destroy the competitors, all these kind of things. Like, this is just, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but, like, this is just how, you know, as athletes, we kind of carry ourselves. This gives us confidence. You you build confidence from, you know, the, the training sessions, sessions you have, the experience you get, you gain. So, anyway, I was like, I'm going to go on the show. I'm going to win that, uh, whatever, 250K, get the two cars, get a bunch of trips. Life's going to be good. Um, but it wasn't even close. Funniest thing is, even when I, like, applied to the show with uh, my, my training partner at the time, you know, I hadn't watched the season, any season really, uh, since that first one that I mentioned, like early 2000s. So in my head, I had this false sense of like, oh, this is going to be simple. And I'm, I'll never forget, you kind of have to, they give you a bunch of contracts to sign just to make sure you're like, you know, you get injured, they're not liable, blah, blah, blah. Makes sense. It's an amazing race. You do some crazy challenges potentially. But I'll never forget like, you know, signing my life away. You know, kind of old school, you got to send the contract. I think it was like in a mailbox or something. So I closed the mailbox. I'm like, cool. Went home that night thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to be on the Amazing Race. This is awesome. I kid you not, you know, I was, I was sitting there with my now wife. And I'm like, let's watch the last season of this episode of, of Amazing Race Canada. Just oh. like, you know, me not thinking. Just being too overconfident. Maybe it's a sprint thing. I don't know. But I turn on the TV. Um we stream it. I don't know how we streamed it. But anyway, the first episode of the season right before me, the very first challenge, I kid you not, they're in BC. And the first challenge, I had to jump off a mountain. I'm terrified of heights. I was like, oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, I don't know what the hell I got myself into. Uh, but I can tell you that set the tone for everything. And every challenge was difficult. Nothing was physical. It was the most random stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I grew from it. Like to challenge yourself in scenarios that you never knew you could be good at is just like it's such an amazing feeling. Like after it's done, of course, while you're doing it, it's stressful and like 
not the best feeling. But after like finishing the show and, and reflecting, after rewatching it, I was like, wow, that was so that was so brave of me. That was so good to do because there was tons of stuff I would never do. So overall, the experience was amazing. Uh, no pun intended. And uh, yeah, it's just like I, I pushed myself to limits that I never knew I had. Wow. Yeah, that that's that's incredible. Like, again, jumping off things. I don't like heights that I can only imagine what how stressful that was. What was it like for your family watching that? I'm, I'm assuming they probably watched it along with you when the season aired. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. And it's so funny because, like, there was one challenge where this is, like, the most terrifying one for me. I knew it was coming. I'm like, I know they're going to throw something in Heights with Heights in, uh, in the show. Um, it was, like, maybe, like, the fourth or fifth episode. Anyway, we, we basically went to – we were in Nanaimo, B.C., and we had to um, – we basically had to bungee jump. And okay. it wasn't just, like – exactly, right? I had, that, I had that same reaction. It wasn't, like, just, like, a regular bungee jump, though. It was – Right before you bungee jump, and they don't tell you this, you have one minute to memorize, it was like 11 ingredients of the Nanaimo bar, I can't even say it, Nanaimo bar, and then you jump, and then after you jump, you have to like recite these ingredients to the, the clue holder, and if you don't get the all the ingredients right, you go again until you get it. So I'm, I'm like, oh, this is like my worst nightmare. I have brutal short-term memory, and I'm terrified of heights. I'm like, all right, well, you know. This is, this is how I die. I remember thinking, I'm like, this is how I die. Um, but luckily, I only had to go twice. And anyway, to your question, what did my family think? The funny thing is, like, I was in Toronto while it was kind of, like, airing. And I remember I'd, like, call my mom. Or my mom would call me. She's like, Sammy, are you okay? I'm like, clearly I'm okay because I'm talking to you right now. But she is was so, like, animated and in the moment about it. She's like, I hope you're good. Like, so it was it was terrifying. Most people were like, they know my, my, my fear of heights. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of laughter, but also a lot of concerns. I'm like, look, it's, we've already kind of shot the episode. So I have my legs. Yeah, that's incredible. So when you think back to it, with all the terrifying things that you had to do, what was the, what's your biggest takeaway from that? Biggest takeaway? Um, not, not trying to be too cliche, um, but really like, in terms of trying something new and, and like putting yourself out there, it's it's easy to say it, but until you do, not as good as the amazing race, but until you do something that's like really out of your comfort zone, like you really don't know your capabilities. And I've taken that with me, like ever since being off of the show. Am I going to bungee jump again? Hell no. But like I've definitely taken it with me in terms of there's times where I'm like, man, I don't know if I can not work if I can do this project or, you know, man, I don't know if I can accomplish this, this goal. I just, you know, I dive head first now, obviously, you know, you take calculated risks, but like in terms of the, the risks that I take, I'm now like, I thrive on it. I'm like, if you're not uncomfortable, then you're probably not growing. And that's something that I kind of take with me as I, in everything that I do now, thanks to uh, <laughs> season seven of Amazing Race. Oh, that's really cool. I think that's such an important thing to hear is because, you know, myself included, you get into a situation, you're not comfortable, and you decide, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's not my thing. But I think you're right. Like, you really do have to be uncomfortable and you have to do something that makes you uncomfortable to learn what you can do because then you get in a situation like yourself where it's like, well, I've got this really daunting thing. Well, I bungee jump. So if I can do that, then sure, I must be able to do this. Um, so I think that's that's really helpful for our listeners. 
Um, now you've transitioned, and now you're you you know you retire from um, sprinting and being an athlete full time. What's it like being at RBC and um, being a marketing manager there? Yeah, no, it's it's great. I think uh, you know to be able to jump into a new phase in life. Like I I trained for track and field to try and make the Olympics for for like what 14, 15 years. I went from you know waking up the early early hours of the of the morning to like train you know be up at the track at whatever 8 a.m. 7 a.m. you're training for like five hours straight and you have a different schedule different eating routine so to now work at a bank where I, I I do primarily you know I'm sitting a lot and again lifestyle is just completely different um that's just what it is it's different you know do I miss track and field definitely um, but I do like the fact that, you know, within my role, I got to actually, I got to impact people. Not a lot of people get to do that within their role, um, just in general in life. So to be able to like, not only give um, athletes like myself an opportunity to like share their messages, share their stories, inspire the next generation, you know, with like resilience and, and, and all those like kind of, I, I guess you'd almost say buzzwords nowadays. It's cool to be able to be in kind of like full circle giving athletes the knowledge and the opportunity that I wish I had. And then again, in my role as a marketing manager, I just, I basically like, I work with athletes, I work with Olympians, I work with the next generation of athletes. So to be able to like share the insight, the things that I wish I could have done better is so, it's it's like really fulfilling. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. Uh, that's really good. And I'm glad that you're, you're finding it fulfilling. And when you think about your time there, what has been if you can name one thing that was the most fulfilling um, experience that's come out of that. Yeah. Um, I'd say so far the most fulfilling experience uh, with work is being able to, I, I guess I briefly said it before, but specifically to, you know, athletes being able to like, again, give them the opportunities that I wish I have, give them the tips. Like I have a, I have a meeting tomorrow with a, with an athlete, a bobsleigh athlete. She asked me like, you know, I want to get into public speaking. How can I kind of like, you know, not only leverage my brand, but leverage like the profile that I have. For somebody to ask me, like, you know, when I think about it, you know, little Calgary kid that that never thought he would do sport, these kind of questions, these are Olympians, medalists. They're asking me this stuff. It's like, it's super flattering. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get used to it, but I love it. And I think the more those conversations happen, the more I want to stay in this sort of space because by me giving them that insight and giving them the uh, the tips and the tricks that I use and seeing them go out and now inspire like whether it's kids, employees, uh, all types of people, it's like it's super motivating because it's like I am actually making like a tangible difference and I can see, hey, this person is growing because they listened to a Zoom call that I that I chatted with them on. So I would definitely say that. I know it's not a specific moment in time, but I, I can name athletes that I I spoke to and I'm like, I'm seeing them thrive. And I'm like, that's so cool to know that I had a you know, part in that journey. Well, that's very cool. And it, it's got to be surreal. And I love that you're still, you're able to do it, but you're still appreciating just how amazing that experience is being able to, you know, as you say, talk to athletes, talk to gold medalists, and they're coming to you asking for help. Um, I think that's so great. And it also shows that you're very humble, that you're not taking it for granted and you're still, um, excited by this no thanks man i think you know one of the one of the things i, I left out um in terms of like 
that something that I'm really proud of is, you know, with, with the platform I work on, it's called RBC Training Ground. We like find, we fund the next generation of Canadian Olympians. It's super cool to be a part of a process where, you know, we do look to recruit athletes. We look to, to not only see if we, you're good enough to like you know, train with the national sport organization, like, I don't know, canoe kayak or, or boxing or climbing, but you actually see, you know, athletes develop. It's more than just, I'm going to be Olympics. It's like you're developing people. They're learning new skills. Um, you know, they're in front of high profile scouts. So in terms of like scholarships, you know, there's, there's opportunity. And again, being that kid from Calgary, I never knew if, that I could do. I, I, I'll be honest. I didn't have the highest self-esteem. I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know what I was capable of. So to be on that other side, to be able to like reinforce to a 14 year old kid being like, yo, go for this opportunity. It's free. You may get into a sport you never knew you were good at. That to me is so fulfilling. So that's, that's definitely something I'm like super proud of and it's something that I love about my job. Oh, that, that's very cool. And where can people find information about, about the program? Yeah, you can jump on the rbctrainingground.ca. We have Instagram, um, as everybody does now, uh, at rbctrainingground. And you can see athletes who have come through our program, athletes who have medals, athletes that are currently going through the program, and like signups and, and more information. It's really cool because we're, we're in, what, 17 locations across Canada. So like no matter where you are, you can like find a location. And if you're somewhere really remote, do it virtually so you can send in your your tape and, and and maybe you'll get into a sport that you never knew that you were good at and that's the beauty of the program well, that that's amazing and listeners if this sounds the least bit exciting to you jump on take a look because you never know you might find something that you didn't know you were good at um but sam thank you so much for being here today but before you go how can people connect with you yeah no for sure um I guess I'll do my, my plug. Uh, so at Sam underscore Effa. So my first name, last name, super simple to find. Got a website, sameffa.com. Um, business person, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> but really just Google me. It's easy to, to, to find me. And I'm, I'm an open book. So yeah, feel free to drop me a line. Oh, very cool. Everyone, please connect with Sam. I think you're going to have very good experience. And Sam, thank you again for being here today. It's been a really, really great conversation. Perfect. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This has been great. Anytime.